welcome to this week's episode of 1010 would recommend it is me it is i it is she talani <laughs> and it is me it is i it is she gina see that's such a nice intro yeah that was nice yeah was it nice. makes you feel like of importance that like yeah. maybe a grandular one, mm. but still of importance. Today's a really special episode. Uh, really excited to have another guest on because we didn't have guests for so long with the last season. Uh, and this one is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to do a content warning beforehand, uh, this episode we're speaking to the wonderful Rowan Deacon, who is the director of Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story, uh, which is a documentary uh that's already come out, actually, on Netflix. Uh, the subject matter deals with things like sexual assault. Uh, so there's content warning there. But it was really important for us to get Rowan on the podcast uh, to speak about it. Talani and I have both watched the documentary. Yes, we have. And during it, we were, like, sending voice notes, which I was really like, oh, my God, this is horrifying to yeah. watch. Yeah. Like, in a way that, like, I guess we're old enough to have seen... The first bit, where it was like, oh my God, this person's so cool. And it's just so interesting how the name now sends like shivers down my spine rather than like, and this is the magic guy, yeah, which is interesting. So what like actually brought you onto this? What drew you onto this project to be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Um, so I think, um, I think initially it, the size of it, I think mm-hmm. the um, revelations around Jimmy Savile, are, I don't think you can underestimate how much they sort of reverberated around a whole nation. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it. Um, and they changed, they were the sort of beginning of a lot of change that we've lived through in the last 10 years yeah. in terms of like attitudes towards women and yeah. uh, sexual assault. But also I think that they led to really complex feelings in this country around shame and complicity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we've worked through those yet. Yeah. And I yeah. think that... Um, so I suppose I was attracted to the idea of telling a story about something from the perspective of the bystanders, i.e. Yeah. all of us, mm-hmm. um, rather than relitigating his crimes, which yeah. the film doesn't actually do. I think mm-hmm. there's the sort of expectation that that's what we're going to do, and we don't. We're, we're much more interested in really factually laying out how he got away with it, yes. rather than just what he did. And I was really interested in that. And I guess I'd lived through it as well. I mean, lived through it from the position of someone in Britain, like we all did. Yeah. Um, and there has been a lot of, there has been a lot of kind of, it's well-trodden territory, I guess, in mm. this country. But it felt like 10 years on with the dust settling was a good time to sort of approach a very comprehensive film that sets out the how rather than the why. So I yeah. guess that's why. Do you know what? It's so interesting with documentaries where I have this constant thing when something happens, I'm like, 10 years on, we'll know the truth. Because mm. I feel like for so long, we kind of like kind of just deal with it and carry on and like there's a new news day and something else happens and it's just like, no, you have to wait a while. And then eventually the truth will always come out and watching mm. it it's like he tells on himself so it's it's just yeah it really creeps me out often I felt like he told on himself yeah yeah I think you're absolutely right and that note on complicity I really felt that in the documentary because you know obviously it talks about him having been um this prolific figure from 1955 to 2009 it's insane. Uh, which is ins- and I you know there was a bit where and you see him in the big brother house and I didn't even remember like <laughs> when I saw that I was like oh yeah he did yeah, go to, he did, but at the that. time I didn't remember it, and it really it did make me feel like also I was complicit like there was a line in it um where one of the interviewees and I forget who it was specifically, I think it was a journalist who said, you know, the nation made Jimmy Savile mm. and you really get that vibe. And you're right, actually, now that you say it, it doesn't go through every single crime, but it really talks to those people who, like, looking back on the interviews that they did with him, for example, where there were chances to, uh, or where they did feel something that wasn't right. But, like, and I think also, 
it's a very British thing as yeah. well. Like, Britishness doesn't really like to be very direct. Um, we always, like, air towards, like, being polite. And being polite is often, like, not saying things. Or when it's something uncomfortable, you're like, oh, I don't want to touch this. It's just so interesting. Um, but Ari, that, obviously, the feeling of complicity, um, people usually shy away from that. How nervous were you, I guess, to delve into that where, you know, it is probably going to make viewers feel like, oh, yeah, like, we were really... We, we were really a part yeah. of it. We're all a part of this. Yeah, no, so I think there was a lot of anxiety, like genuinely sort of daunted at the outset because mainly actually not because of... Uh, I, I wanted our, uh, Britain to sort of confront the story, but I'm also aware that this was... Um, you know, there are hundreds of um, Jimmy Savile's victims kind of living mm. in this country and yeah. processing and dealing with the effects of his abuse on them, which has obviously a long-term legacy. Mm. And so we were really kind of keen from the outset to talk to um, victims and survivors groups and people who kind of could inform them on their perspectives of, if you're going to make this, mm -hmm. how is it How is it helpful? How is it going to be helpful to us? And it was really interesting that I actually came from some of those kind of, I guess we called them like consultancies, because we knew that we weren't just relitigating the crimes. Yeah. We yeah. It's not a um, harrowing litigation of his every part, one of his yeah. victims and his abuse, which is an important film to make, and they have been made. Mm -hmm. Because we were taking a slightly different approach, we were really keen to get their perspectives so that their kind of lived experiences informed what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting that one of the things they said was that this kind of um, vision that we have today of Jimmy Savile as like an evil monster who we have slain, yeah. who was just pure evil, um, you know, that a monster mm -hmm. who who we never liked, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, we yeah, never yeah, trusted, yeah, yeah. Um, isn't helpful really to understanding the complexity totally. of victims' experiences of perpetrators who totally. often are charming, well-liked, yep. well-respected, and play quite a complex psychological game. Mm. And so uh, uh, we've, we felt really emboldened by that to go back to all the archive, which hasn't been seen yeah. since the revelations came out. And for good reason, there was like a, a sort of censoring of these hundreds of hours of footage. But yeah. we applied to all of the archive houses to start looking at that. And it was in the archive that we found, look, you can't argue with our relationship with him, our yeah. relationship of trust. Yeah. And our relationship of adoration. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that's worth exploring because we need to be honest about how this happened rather than sort of go, oh, well, it was all a conspiracy and we had nothing to do yeah. with it. Yeah, exactly. And you avoid it because it makes you feel a bit icky. It does. Like, because if you, when you watch it, you watch a journalist like looking back at interviews with him and they, you can see that they feel like, oh my God, I knew something wasn't right. Yeah. But I didn't, but say, I didn't anything. say anything. And I think once you feel icky, you're like, well, I'm going to stay far from it, sort of thing. Yeah. And I think as a woman as well, there's a weird thing about. Being around someone, you're like, oh, I just, oh, there's something. And often you don't know what the word is. You don't, and if you say it to other people, it sounds like, well, because he looked at you too long. Or be, like, what exactly was it that he said? Maybe he was just being complimentary. And you can see the journalist watching it back and being like, shit, like, mm. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? And I also think, as well as that, and it was even more complex than that, that actually the social conditions of the time were such that when we looked at this archive, the way that Jimmy Savile was behaving with young women wasn't actually that unusual. Yeah. Right. It was actually normal right. to pat people on the bum, to sort of break those mm -hmm. boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and so when the, um, the interviewees are looking back at that, they're sort of confronted with our own past and the, yeah, and the yeah, conditions yeah, yeah. which meant so that true. the phrase that's often used with Jimmy Savile is he hid in plain sight. And I was like, yeah, he did hide in plain sight, but he also hid in a culture which which made this kind of behaviour normalised. Mm. So no one 
felt like there was anything to comment on because yeah. it was just kind of it was just okay and we had different uh but i mean i, I anyway yeah we had really different understandings yeah. of kind of com- um true. of consent and who's responsible for behavior like that yeah but that change in how we saw the world then and how we see it now it's a really weird one because it's obviously Jimmy Savile has been made up to be the monster that he is and everything like that. But it's just a weird one because it's like, oh, but it was okay then. Yeah. But yet, watching it, someone else watching them, and I was like, why didn't you guys pick that up? Yeah. You, like, it's, it's a re- like, you just yeah. don't know how yeah. to feel about it. And I watching it, I was just like, he literally told us what he was doing. Yeah, exactly. And here he is again telling us what he... I could literally write the amount of times, I'm like, okay, that's another time he told us what he was doing. There was a bit in a documentary where he talks about when he was working in the hospital and he was like, yeah, I helped the lads, and, and the lads out and when they let me, I, I helped the young lasses out too. And yeah. it was like, Yeah. But, but I when think, no one's looking, he says, when no one's looking, I helped the lasses out too. You're like, sorry, what does that mean? And I think that speaks to the question of, again, like, it's really, hindsight is, is 2020, yeah, 2020, right? Like, you know, it's that tension between how do we reframe a lot of the, these experiences and a lot of these things that happen you know, in 2022, when we're like, you know, it's the post-Me Too movement mm. and we're we're looking at all of these things way differently. But I think you're absolutely right, Rowan. Rowan like, I definitely, whilst I was very like, I can't believe that this went on, at the same time, I was like, actually, I can believe it, it because different. it was different. It was different then, and, yeah. you know, there was, there, are, there are things that we probably accept today that we won't accept in yeah, 50 absolutely. years' time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I really... Yeah, it was it was so interesting. The Those moments, I guess, in the documentary where it does feel like super ironic because he's kind of saying the things that he was doing. Are those moments in... Did you put them in on purpose or as like to punctuate it or to emphasise the point that you were making? Or, you know, did they just happen to be there and you were like, I mean, I assume it was on purpose because you're a great director, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. It was was a measured decision. Mm. It wasn't... um, We were really keen not to... um, uh, misrepresent the archive, so we yeah. we were quite methodical and obsessive about it. We we got all, there were hundreds, like literally, I spent lockdown viewing all mm. hundreds of hours of footage of Jimmy Savile on in documentaries, on TV appearances, being followed around the country with cameras from 1958 to he, when he died in 2011. Mm. And we just sat down and started viewing chronologically because mm. we just thought we need to kind of experience this as Britain did like yeah, yeah. and um and though and there were loads of moments where we were like oh my god now obviously we have hindsight mm. so those moments shout to us today in a way that they didn't at the time so I do think hindsight is yeah. part of the role but there's mm-hmm. also a there was also a complex psychological game going on I think with um with Jimmy Savile and the British public, particularly in the second part of his career, where it was less acceptable for him to be acting in a kind of lascivious way, which he does in the sort of 60s and 70s. And I think then that he is doing... And the reason why I wanted to put those bits in, and I I don't think... I mean, it's interesting because he is constantly doing it, but we haven't overly put them in. No, no, yeah, not yeah, at yeah. All, not it's at just all. what he it's was just, doing. Yeah. yeah. What, what I think it, what I think it illustrated, and the reason that we wanted to to show to ask our audience today to, conf, to sort of confront with this is that it also explored something that was quite um, disorientating for the British people because. Even in the light nineties, like where what we consider a more kind of modern time, yeah. um, he was kind of advertising the fact that he was up to no good. Mm. And I think it was a bit like we I interviewed a psychiatrist about this. It was a bit like the serial killer who turns up at the press conference. It's a bit like I sort of 
don't want to be caught. But at the same time, I, I kind of want you to know what I'm yeah. doing. I want to get some kind of thrill yeah. Yeah. of of sailing close to the wind. Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. I think what was interesting is the effect on us was to go, well, if he's saying all that, it can't be true. It was almost like a double bluff. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. And it, and it was kind of, I mean, some of the most, I was expecting to find that in the sort of early 60s and 70s footage because it's like TV was all just pretty gross. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it but, really was. When you watch it back then, you're like, oh, why is he allowed to say that? <laughs> exactly. It was kind of contextualised by, like you say, the times. But even unlike, there's one um, clip that we weren't able to put in of him on Loose Women in like 2006 and he's kind of licking everybody's hands and he's but everybody looks really uncomfortable but no one says anything because I guess at that time it was just you know oh wow he's just a man out of his time mm. yeah, well, let, yeah let's yeah, not yeah. embarrass him yeah, by calling it out yeah. and I think you know there was, there was yeah. a bit of that going yeah. on as well and yeah. it was it was a, it was almost like this archive was evidence of a really complex psychological game yeah. being played between the television and the people at home. And I just found that kind of um, helpful to understanding. It. In, a, in a way, it's one of the reasons why he got away with what he did is, th- is that game that was being played. So, so I was really kind of keen to explore that. Yeah, <laughs> But then so there was loads of rumours as well. There was loads of like, yeah, we have heard. Oh, yeah, mm. he, someone did say. And that went back for years. People were like, yeah, I did hear that he likes young kids or I did see him drive off with young girls and things like that. So there was mm. loads of rumours. But, and then I think it plays in power with that power. Yeah. Like, what we see as superstars, when we see them on television, it's like, oh my God, they're these people that can't do no wrong and he's yeah. helping kids fly and he's doing this with them so he can't be a bad guy. So it's just kind of like how television makes us look at celebrities that they are unable to do anything bad. Mm. And that's why whenever we hear anything, we're so shocked. It's like, oh, I never thought he would be that kind of person because TV has told you that, oh, look how great he is and look yeah. at the power of like how you can create your image. Mm. Yeah, I think that was something that particularly the first film explores is how um, Jimmy Savile's relationship with those in power yeah not just through fame so fame was like level one mm-hmm. was that he was loved and famous and famous but also his relationship with um the royal family yeah. with the yeah. establishment with margaret yeah, thatcher, thatcher yeah. that gained a kind of um it was uh tr- it was a trust that that sort of sealed his approval in the eyes of the public mm-hmm. so that i mean Obviously, we then explore how um, some of the women who... I mean, those rumours must have come from yeah. the source, right? There were, people, there were hundreds of victims, right? So those rumours came from some truth. Yeah. And then when there were women who did, in the 90s, come forward, you know, in the first example, to the to the mirror in, yeah. the, in 94, they felt like they didn't want to go to trial because they actually felt ashamed of their past yeah. and their involvement in it. They yeah. actually felt like they didn't want to testify because they worried that... Um, Jimmy Savile would, with his kind of public image, um, win the argument in court. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was just all they had as evidence right. was their testimony. So yeah. I think it's a film that also explores um, uh, testimony and what and what weight we give to certain people's yeah. experiences versus others. And in that sense, it's a bit of a cautionary tale, yeah. I think. Yeah, so I'm looking at both of you. No, 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 it's absolutely fine. fine. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. Yeah, well, I'm just intensely staring <laughs> at you. at you as you're talking as well. Something like that to do, right? <laughs> I'll keep still. <laughs> no, 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 it's totally, totally fine. Um, it's a bit serious. I did want to ask, you know, since you, you, you've spoken about those testimonies and, and the shame, you know, how how hard was it or what was the process actually of getting those interviewees on board uh, to be involved in the documentary? Yeah, I think, um, so a lot of the interviewees in the film aren't... Um, uh, 
Jimmy Savile's victims. There were yeah. we, we deliberately yeah. wanted to speak to people who were um uh people that had known him in order for us to kind of understand the effect that he had had on people who didn't know what he was mm. who didn't re- actually know what he was doing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of um anxiety from those people about speaking uh about th- having known and not done anything yeah. like, with their I mean, their knowledge, what did they know? They knew what we saw, yeah. do you know what I mean? Um, and they were often confused and bewildered about their about their role in the story. Mm. So in terms of speaking, I guess we do what I'd always do, which is to be really transparent about what we were trying to do. Yeah. And we obviously had engaged with them about how they are probably going to come up against um, social media questions and yeah. criticism. I mean, that was something that we just did from the outset. Yeah. Um, I think that they felt that because we were engaging with the archive and because and we made a kind of rule actually there's only one interviewee who doesn't have a first hand witness testimony mm. by what I mean we didn't want to talk to anyone who just had an opinion mm. oh, we yeah, needed yeah, people yeah. to be there at the time so everyone met him knew him is in the archive yeah has for, a stake in that story yeah, yeah. sort of was there because mm. we felt like there's quite a lot of um, there's quite a lot of um, chatter about Jimmy Savile quite a lot of rumour right, and we really right. wanted to root it in um, experiences of people who had been there um, so the process of getting them on board was really one where we um, engage them in a relationship of trust, that, right. we, that this is what we're trying to do. Mm. We're not trying to mislead you. Mm. We're not trying to misrepresent you. Yeah. But we are trying to kind of needle something that's quite difficult for, the, I think, the nation <laughs> to confront. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with regards to um, survivors as well, mm-hmm. actually, the, interestingly... From that perspective, there was m- there was more keenness for the story to be told. There's more kind of like uh, the survivor we interviewed um, in the film, although that we've also consulted with lots whose bits of archive we used because we tell it as a kind of historical yeah. story as well. Mm-hmm. She was like, "I have to live with this all the time. I have to live with this. So I I want I, like why can't you live with it just for like an hour and a half? Oh, yeah. oh, oh my god, and yes, absolutely. Yeah. So there yeah. was a lot with her around you know motivate. What was her motivation for telling? the story again Mm, because she has told it before and she was really keen that the film explored us our role in it but also that it didn't shy away from some of the more um harrowing and shocking uh, and violent aspects of John. Yeah. So there is a very kind of difficult section in the film yeah. for yeah. viewers. But Sam was really keen that we didn't censor her. Yeah. And um, and she said, I've, I've, I've had to experience it. You experienced for yeah. five minutes. Gosh. I think that's the thing that is discomfort. Because really I, I remember watching it and feeling like, you really feel like I want to turn this off. Because yeah. it feels so uncomfortable with it. And I think so many Brits are going to feel quite uncomfortable with it, especially the older lot, because it's like, it was Jimmy Savile sort of thing. What do you want them to take away from it? Look, two questions. And secondly, what are you worried that they might say about oh, it? Oh, God, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what, what's the... Because mor- I was thinking about this in terms of morality, and I think mm. one of the fil- things that the film does is complicate the morality. Like, it isn't a really sort of... Um, there's a lot of, um, what would you describe it? There's quite a lot of like social media hysteria and conspiracy theories around mm. um, Jimmy Savile. Mm. And I think that 
I wanted to, rather than present a really kind of moralistic film, to present a film that shows just how complex the reasons were as to why he got away with it. It's not a film that's about blame. It's not about saying, ah, it was because of Prince Charles, it was because of Margaret Thatcher, Mm. it was because of some people at the BBC who... It was actually trying to say, without blame, let's look at the sort of society that we lived in and the attributes that we pin on um, the establishment, fame women, vulnerable women, you know, let's look at where we value all of those and just kind of um, learn from listening to the history of it rather than presenting a kind of strict moral... I mean, it would be reductive to say child abuse is bad. You know, I think we know that. I think the film tries to do more than just say, this was bad, and to say, but how does it happen and how Mm. do we facilitate it? I think in terms of... The, what I'm, what, I think that the Jimmy Savile's topic is like really triggering in this country. And yeah. I don't mean triggering for survivors, although I accept that in some cases it may be yeah. a difficult thing for, for those people to revisit as well. For some of those people, we can't sort of talk generally, can we? Everybody's kind of got their own, their own experiences. But I think for the public, it makes people really angry. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes people angry that we're going over this. Mm. And I think that, I suppose, I think therefore that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, it's yeah, yeah. interesting that we get so kind of anxious and um, angry about this subject matter. And I think that is precisely the reason yeah. why it's it's worth us confronting yeah. mm-hmm. in a kind of, that's what storytelling is, isn't it? Yeah. It's sort of helping us to come to terms with and make sense of our world. And mm. so I know that there will be like, we shouldn't give him airtime. I suspect that that might be yeah. one mm. of the... Um, and I would just argue that the film is quite complex yeah. and to engage with the film rather than the sort of social media conversation, mm. it's actually trying to sort of complicate and make sense of something rather than just add to the hysteria. Yeah, mm. It's really weird because I feel like Britain is that one big family and Jimmy is like <laughs> the like the dirty uncle that nobody really wants to talk about and yet like he never happened. Yet, 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 like, still a part of we the never family. loved him at one point, yeah. we never knew him at one point, but it's like actually the family picture showed that actually he was in that picture, yeah. he was invited once before, <laughs> we do so actually true. know him no, but because that's like he never true. existed because it's like a dark little secret that we just don't talk about Uncle Jimmy, not my yeah. uncle, I have no relation to that man, I've never met him in my life, but <laughs> Uncle Jimmy, <laughs> we don't talk about him, and we bury him deep down somewhere. But he did all of these things, and mm. he should like it should be talked about. A story should yeah. be told. One thing I was going to say, my only worry is right. So there was a part in it where we start talking about his mother and his relationship with his mother, right? So I have this thing where I feel like documentaries or anything that talks about like bad people somehow go to well, it was his mum's fault. And I hate that narrative, yeah. especially when it includes men, because I feel like women are always at some blame at men's downfalls. Or maybe she loved him more. Maybe she didn't hit him more. Mm-hmm. And the more I watched it, it wasn't so much that, but I was really worried about that being a thing. I'm really funny about people's mothers being blamed for monsters of children. Totally. I, I totally get your anxiety with that. And we had anxiety. In the end, what's interesting is we could not find any evidence that the mother was to blame theory yeah. was in it. He he factually he did have a very close relationship with her. Mm. And so we included we included that because it's just part of what he talked about but we suspect that that's because he wasn't uh, because of his obviously had sort of hugely psychologically damaged man wasn't able to form relationships with anybody in a in a grown-up way Mm. so his relationship to his mother was one like a primary attachment that didn't then 
uh, that didn't go you yeah. know, even after she she died. But I, I, we had exactly the same anxiety mm. that you always go to the... It's always it's like... It's always the monster. <laughs> yeah. It's because of the mum. Actually, we didn't find any evidence of that. And in terms of exploring... And also, we were very conscious. We don't spend... I don't think the film spend much time exploring why Jimmy was like he was. We weren't interested in offering him any excuses or explanations. That wasn't, you know, I think that sometimes films about famous bad men spend a lot of time looking at like an explanation that can sometimes read as a justification. Mm. We weren't really interested in that. We we touch on his mother because he his relationship with Catholicism I think is quite important. And the religious kind of the way in which he uh, talks about his yeah. sins on yeah. television yeah. Uh, as a way of kind of atoning for his cri- his yeah. mysterious crimes that we now know what they were. Um, but I, we were also cautious of that narrative. Mm-mm. And so I, I think it's like, I, actually, it's one bit of the film where we're like, what are we saying about the mother? <laughs> yeah. and, and we're just sort of presenting her because she's there and because she was a figure of importance in his life. Yeah. But I don't think the film comes to any conclusions because we didn't really feel like we could because there, there was, was, none. There was yeah. none that we could find. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense? It may yeah. be a frustrating element yeah. in the film, though. Because when I saw it, when, when the first was like, and his mum, I was like, no, no, not his mum sort of thing. So it's like, yeah, I realised that as well. And it just kind of stops there. And that was that relationship. And there was no, like, blame, which I was very happy about. Um, I had one last question. Uh, And it was actually, I was doing very much a, like, (laughs) A-level dissection of the title. Oh, English comprehension. Yeah, (laughs) I was doing the English comprehension. Like, explain why this title was chosen. Um, Obviously, you could have just called this Jimmy Savile. You could have just called it, you could have, but it's called um, Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story. Mm. And we've kind of spoken about, uh, we've spoken about complicity. We've spoken about the nation, the you know, the British public having created this person. Um, and in the documentary, it talks about, uh, you know, how Jimmy Savile, part of what made him successful, his success was that he was Northern, you know, that, the, you know, these are very specifically British things that yeah, can... working that, class. That, yeah, yeah, working class that, that make this, this, um, this British person become a British success. And I just wondered whether for you, when coming up with that title, um, a British horror story, what to you, you know, was that on purpose? Were you specifically pointing out that this is the way in which uh, this person rose to fame, the components of that person's fame, and the way in which uh, this all played out is a specifically British way of it playing out? Yeah, I think the title I think the title was partly because we felt like it was an unusually national story. Like yeah. it was a it, it was a story that engaged every institution, involved every institution of uh, a British institution yeah. from the royal family to the government to the NHS to BBC, like every oh one yeah. of us. Oh, wow. So right, wow. The church. Those are all British yeah. people. All yours NHS so BBC. True. Yeah, so British. So I suppose it was more the national nature of it right. than the British exceptionalism of it, mm. I think. But but I do, I mean, it is an exceptionally British story, but I don't think that's to say that it's not a story that couldn't play out with those kind of power structures elsewhere. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, for sure. But, but, I do, but, it, but it's a uniquely, I think I think also there's, it's interesting because obviously the, the series is going to be launched on Netflix inter, in, internationally. Mm-hmm. So I think that we were really conscious of 
um, making sure that people understand not just that this was national, as in like the scale, but also that it is something that's very much part of our history. Yeah. I think you're yeah. right that the that the um, exceptionalism of Jimmy Savile, that the Jimmy Savile story certainly couldn't have happened in another country. Mm-hmm. But I think similar kind of abuses of power, obviously. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I think you're um, absolutely right. And horror story, actually, you know, we went backwards and forwards with this, but actually, I think that... I think that I think that what's the most sort of uh, why I think it is a horror story for everybody involved is that the most tragic and sort of damning and horrible aspect of it is the betrayal of someone that you trust mm-hmm. has actually turned out to be not what you see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of almost like a horror trope. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So right. Like the monster in town. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, kind of. And and I think that you know I don't think horror actually over exit. I think it was a horror story for the survivors. It was a horror story for everybody that knew him that felt somehow complicit. Yeah. And it was a horror story for the nation because it's almost become like a kind of bogeyman f- from which we are, are recovering. Yeah. So I, I think that's why that title was chosen. And also it was also, sorry. To- <laughs> We didn't want it to make it about him. Obviously, we had to use his name. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to call it like the monster mm. or the like paedophile yeah. because we wanted to, because I think the film is as much about how he deceived us as it is about how we were deceived. Yeah. So yes. we, wanted to, we wanted to kind of spread it out a bit in mm. terms of um, in terms of the focus not being just like an examination of Jimmy Savile because I don't think anyone would be interested in looking more into him. It's into us, if that yeah. makes sense. Ooh, smashed it with that answer, babe. Yeah. Uh, Slightly lighter. So yeah, with, our, lighter. <laughs> with our with our with our No, you did fantastically. Thank you so much for being yeah, transparent uh, and honest about it. So, yeah. um, the documentary is really, really great. It's really, really great. Really, really, really good and important. And you know, it's really struck it's that line that you said that Sam um said so was it is her name Sam? Sam, yeah. 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 Uh, said about um, you know, I have to live with this all my life. You you should you can watch an hour and a half. You can watch an hour and a half this is really struck me because I think that's absolutely right and yeah. it's really important. Um, so every time we have a guest on our podcast, because obviously our podcast is called 10 Out of 10 Would Recommend, mm-hmm. uh, we ask our guests to recommend something on Netflix. <laughs> uh, so obviously we're already recommending your documentary, which is fantastic. <laughs> but if you had to recommend something else, what would you recommend to our listeners? Um, yeah, well, weirdly, I was recommend. I was actually, the other night I saw some friends and who hadn't watched The Power of the Dog. Oh. And um, I, I know that's is that a bit of a one that everyone. Do you know what? I still haven't watched it. I also still haven't oh watched it. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it. And it's I'll literally just and Jane Campion's just won a uh, yeah, Oscar everyone's for talking it. about so it. It's weird. Like these are people that I would be like, I can't believe you haven't watched it. And I was really selling it to them to the point that they were like, Did you like, make it? Did you make it? <laughs> <laughs> Relax. So, and, and they were like, Oh no, I don't like westerns. Oh no, I don't like. Oh boring. Rat. And I was like, No, this story is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like the most. I think it's a masterpiece. Anyway, in terms of filmmaking and I also think it's one of those brilliant stories that you think you're watching one story and then it completely unravels to be something else and I I found it the most and I came across it by accident because I don't think it was like really like pushed and I just found it the most engaging and one of those films where you're like afterwards you're just still thinking about it and it's about like the psychological relationship between these like four characters that are really well drawn and Mm. really complex and the fact that it's a western if you it's it's like it's not what you expect from a western that's all I can say because my truth is I have to be in the mood to watch a masterpiece like (laughs) 
I'll be honest. You know what, absolutely like, I don't fair. just go out of my way and start searching for masterpieces. I just, I'm yeah. like, I'll just watch a rom-com. Yeah. But yeah. like, if I'm, I'm in the same. mood, I'll be like, okay, cool. I'm yeah. in the yeah, mood for masterpiece. Yeah. It's not, it's not a like knackered after work. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I just need yeah. something. you got to sit down and like, go, okay, I'm ready for this. You've yeah. got to treat it a bit like the cinema. You know, when you're watching Netflix, yeah. but you're like, this is a cinema experience. Yeah. Rather than. He just makes me really jealous of the people that made it. Like, how did you think of it? How did you, well, what is it? I know you mentioned that it's four characters and their interaction, but what is it actually? Western. What is it actually about? So it's about it's about a. Um, do you know what it's about? It's about like masculinity. That's what it's about. Ooh, okay. okay. Yeah, and it's about a um, uh, cowboy mm-hmm. who is. Uh, n- not true to who he is, really, mm-hmm. and the and the kind of damage that that causes. Right. I, guess. I don't know how much like plot spoilers you're allowed. Okay, to talk so who's on the this. dog? There's no actual dog in it. <laughs> It's the fun title. I have a dog. It's a quote from the Bible. Oh, God, and I'm a Christian. And you're a Christian. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you learn that at it? the end. Huh? Do we know? What's the, what's the oh, whole God. verse? Oh, my God. I'm going to search. Why are you asking her that? It's something about... She's brought the Bible. I should, I'm obsessed with the film. I should know this. And, the, and I watched it twice because if you watch it once, you're like, oh, my God. And then you watch it again and all the clues are there. That's what oh, I loved about that. Oh, right. You watch okay. it again and you're like... Okay. I've realised I'm watching a perfectly constructed... It's basically a, like a detective story, but Ooh, you don't know that you're that watching that. So right. And okay. I thought Benedict... Cum- I was like, Benedict Cumberbatch She's a cowboy. Come on, guys. Like, mm. that's ridiculous, right? He's so sort of posh in English. Mm-mm. But... Um, Actually, I think it's genius casting because he's a man that's not comfortable with who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of like the times and the world he lives in, it actually is a really clever bit of casting because his performance, his performance of like being a macho and being a cowboy is part of his issues. Mm-hmm. And right, so Benedict okay. Cumberbatch is good at that because he's kind of like a weird cowboy, right? Yeah. yeah. It's from yeah. Psalms 22, verse 20. <laughs> and it says, Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. I'm not sure what God was trying to say. Oh my god. Well, that is what it's all about. <laughs> Wait, do you know what? The good news version is always really simple. No, none of it means any sense to me. Save myself from the sword, my only life, and the power of the dog. And there you go. Hold tight, Everyone Jesus. Everyone watch the Hold tight, Jesus. Hold tight, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love and hold them. Tight you. And hold tight, Rowan. Yeah. <laughs> Rowan, thank you so, so, so much. much. Um, uh, Everybody, please, please, please watch Jimmy Savile, A British Horror Story. It's out now. Um, And tweet us about it on hashtag 1010WouldRecommend. What a babe Rowan is. What a babe. So smart as well. Every answer, I was like, you smashed that, babe. Yeah, uh, I can't (laughs) even embarrass myself about the dog. So where does the dog come into this? (laughs) And who is the dog, Rowan? You haven't mentioned a wolf wolf yet. (laughs) (laughs) And then a bark bark. (laughs) Um, okay, so obviously Rowan gave her recommendation yeah. and her 1010 would recommend for this week. What is yours? Completely different. Mm-hmm. Completely not smart. It's not a masterpiece. Actually, some could say it is a masterpiece, but it's not. It's it's a show called Is It Cake? Oh my God, that was going to be my recommendation. Oh my God, was it? <laughs> okay, that's great. We can both recommend this one. Okay, so I feel like everyone deserves something like, and actually it's a masterpiece. <laughs> They're making cakes out They're of every so and anything. So, and this show is just, I think it shows three different things. The one I watched was like a sewing machine. Yeah. And then you have to guess which was cake, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is actually yeah, real. I know it sounds concept. ridiculous, but if you're that kind of person that's watched all of those Instagram videos of people <laughs> cutting to what you thought was a burger, but no, it's a cake. I saw someone cut into a microwave, <laughs> but it was a cake. What? Like, where did this trend come from? I, don't I feel know. like it just on the internet exploded, and everybody for all these videos for like months were just cutting into cake. Yeah, 
for like months and months. Do you know what ones used to really stress me out when people cut into chicken? Because I mm. swear to God, if the chicken is then it's a cake, I'm pissed off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. my truth is, <laughs> like, and do you know what I hate admitting? It's such a cliche. Oh, I'm a black woman and I love chicken. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, no one asked you to admit that. No one told me. <laughs> but I would just be really annoyed if I saw a piece of chicken that was cut up into cake. Yeah, that yeah. That would really piss me off. The videos did start to get on my nerves. Yeah. Because you'd, th- you'd be thinking you're watching a regular video. And, like, I've seen someone TikTok where, like, the lady will be... She'll do the regular thing, like, oh, it's a cake. So she, she cuts it. So you'll see a meal. It's a cake. But then, like, it will go to the kettle that's boiling. The kettle is also yeah, a, cake. a cake. Everything is a cake. And then it will go to the switch. And the switch is a cake. Is also a cake. And I'm like... People are really talented, though. Oh, I can't so bake to save my life, and yeah. I realized that during lockdown when I tried to make banana bread, I didn't even try. That shit deflated, but that's like, it wasn't meant to look like that. Whilst people are out there with their sourdough starters and their little yeast in I a bag, I can't bake for shit. No, it's because baking requires exacts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't like exacts when I'm cooking. It's just a dash of this, a dash of this. But it's too much, like, 0.2 litres of milk. What yeah. does that mean? Because if you put too much of something in, it's like you're, you've yeah. fucked it. Oh, my God, I'll tell you a baking story. So we did a bake sale at work once, right? Because, you know, that was a cute thing to do. And everyone had to bring, like, something they'd baked. And I was unaware... Do you know when you buy food colouring, it's like a tiny little thing, right? And I just thought, oh, that's because you used all of it. So I put the whole thing into my cake to make, like, a red velvet cake. And it turned out green because apparently you were supposed to put two drops of it. It turned out green? Yeah. And it tasted really disgusting. Ooh. But apparently it just requires two drops. And I, it was tiny. I was like, oh, I'll use all of it. <laughs> Do you know what? I think that's absolutely fair. Right. Same like vanilla. Like, vanilla, you only need, like, one teeny weeny little Who's drop. Who's meant to know that? Exactly. But yeah, hold tight these bakers because they know everything. Hold tight the bakers. Literally, the premise of it is literally they get all of these fantastic bakers in and they essentially have to compete to be the one with the most deceptive cake creation. And then the judges come and basically have to like, hopefully not choose their one that's cake. Yeah. (laughs) You can't tell us that we don't give you diverse content on this show. We really do. Oh my God. You can't tell us that we're not doing the job. Content queens. Content queens. Where else are you going when you're getting recommended a doc about... Jimmy Savile and is it cake? Exactly, exactly. Range, that's what we call it. <laughs> we call it range. Yeah, get you some hosts that can do both. Yes, um, exactly. So I reckon we can wrap it up there. I think it's that's been, it, honey. Yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, where can we find you, T? You can find me at Tolly underscore T on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can find me at Smartgina on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find at Netflix UK, obviously, on all platforms and at Netflix on TikTok. And lastly, before we go, don't think we forgot about homework. Yes. Uh, so for next week, what is our homework? The homework for next week is for you guys to watch a show called The Principles of Pleasure. Mm. Hopefully you will learn a thing or two, straight men. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you will learn loads, women. And yeah. no, it's a really, really good show. I've watched it, so I don't want to spoil it, but watch it, get into it. And we're going to be talking about it next episode. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Bye.